time that is ours to share together, I just want to say pay attention and watch. Amen. Pay attention and watch. You know, I was actually convicted about this as I was preparing for my sermon and looking over the final touches uh, this morning because I, I realize, you know, we have this desire to get as much information as possible. Even if we're not processing all of that information. Uh, as we pass the time, we'll be looking down at our phones, checking things. We'll be checking our watches. And I thought about it as I was looking over my sermon this morning, uh, about to put some final touches on to it, and I... Uh, saw that, you know, I realized I was looking at my sermon on the computer, looking at my phone, and also had CNN on the television in the background. And I saw that it was called the CNN Complex, actually. Uh, this was first identified during the Gulf War. Uh, people from around the world were glued to their screens watching the same battle scenes, the same ballistic attacks over and over again. The CNN complex has come to be more generally known as the, the postmodern addiction to news and bulletins and generally the postmodern addiction to information. Whether we understand or comprehend the information is not material. We've become pathologically addicted to the information itself. We ingest the information without digesting the information. And we do it all the time. Uh, I saw one example of this, and you can try this experiment out when you're talking around to your people. Just watch and see when you're talking to somebody. Uh, maybe at work or something, when they look at their watch. And right after they finish looking at their watch, go up to them and ask them what time it is and see if they don't look at their watch again. <laughs> we get the information, but almost everybody you ask will need to consult their watch over and over again to give you the information you need. We've come to crave information for information's sake. And we crave it constantly without comprehending or conceptualizing it. Of course, we have a love-hate relationship with surprise. We want all this information because we want to be in control. We want all this information because we want to be in control, so we hate surprises. On one hand, the every minute scheduled sameness of our 8 to 5 job drives us crazy, along with the 5 to 11 demands of our families, leaving very little time for spontaneity, adventure, or surprise. And we try to compensate. We try to watch sports or 
our favorite reality TV show or our favorite cooking show or our favorite decoration show to take our mind off of that. But we still never know what's going to happen. You can put all kind of statistics in. You can do all this stuff to try to predict what's going to happen, but you'll never know. Consider how much time is devoted to a weather report on your news station. We are mesmerized by the weather, but we kind of laugh at it when the weatherman or the weather woman gets it wrong. Uh, when we're out there and we're getting drenched in that partly sunny that was supposed to happen, we, we take a little bit of that, but we hate surprises. Uh, we insulate ourselves from the unexpected and the uncontrolled. That's why we put fences up. That's why we buy security systems. But these don't protect us from the attack. They only let us know it happened and let us know it happened faster than it actually did. Uh, it takes away the element of surprise. We know somebody has broken into our business or our car or our homes, but the alarm system didn't really stop it. But we still buy it because we want the information. Uh, and, and we don't like surprises. It used to be socially acceptable to just drop by somebody's house for a visit. Unexpected callers were refreshing. Now, don't call before you don't don't come over here before you call. Might not like what you see when you get there. We don't like surprises. We want the control, present company included. I don't like gift wrap. I don't like it in a bag either. I don't want you to surprise me with the gift. <laughs> Uh, growing up in our household, you gave somebody a list of three things you wanted, and they'd get one or two of those things on the list if you were really good three, but there was no confusion come December 25th. <laughs> control. We want control. I don't like indecisiveness. If we go to McDonald's, by the time I said I'm hungry, I already know what I want. I'm slowly dying on the inside if we go and you go to the menu and say, uh, I'll have the, the menu don't really change that often. But we want this information because we want the control. But I've learned that even if you have the information, you are still not in control. Amen. That is what is happening in this passage in the gospel according to Mark chapter 13. There is a desire for information because there is a feeling that they are out of control. I can relate to that. You spend this time trying to get everything in the right order and getting everything to happen the way that it's supposed to happen or the way you think it's supposed to happen and a monkey wrench gets thrown in your plans. 
You think everything's good with your friends and then something happens and y'all fall out even harder than you ever thought you would. You think everything's cool with your family, but these things happen. There is stuff that is not in your control. You think you figured out your job. And then your boss walks into your office and jumps a boatload of stuff on your desk. (laughs) We want to be in control, but sometimes we are not in control. And the disciples were sitting here listening to Jesus and the fun ride is almost coming to an end. We're in gospel according to Mark chapter 13. The book of Mark is only 16 chapters. And so if we're familiar with the story, even if we don't have it memorized, we know we're getting to the end. It's not all cookies and cream anymore. There's no more. The, 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 the miracles and all of these things are not happening the way they used to. People are starting to plot to kill Jesus. And so the disciples are sitting around and it's no longer an entourage VIP excursion anymore. Things are getting a little bit rough. And so Jesus, in the gospel according to Mark, in chapter 13, is giving his Olivet Discourse. Uh, If we remember from last week that the gospel according to Matthew is divided up into five discourses. And so you could find this Olivet Discourse in the gospel according to Matthew 24. They're a little more long-winded in Matthew. Mark is shorter and to the point. Mark, the gospel according to Mark is actually older than the gospel according to Matthew, but the people put the, put the canon together, put the gospel according to Matthew first in the New Testament because it's a little more church friendly. But if you want to read and see and understand the context of the text, you'd have to go back and read Matthew 24. They cover it a little bit in Mark 13, but there's some, there's some prophecies going on. In this, this, this time. And, and Jesus is starting to tell them some stuff that ain't all nice. Uh, and if you read the gospel according to Mark chapter 13, he talks about before we got to the part in your hearing, he talks about the destruction of the temple. This beautiful temple that King Solomon built to, to worship God in is going to be destroyed. It actually happens around 70 A.D. About 40 years after Jesus uh, talks about it, there's some persecution going on. There is an apocalypse that is about to start happening. And we really should not avoid talking about the apocalypse. Uh, there's a little bit of bad teaching that has been going on about the apocalypse. And I won't say bad teaching, I'll just say sensationalism. People are writing books about the end of the world and the apocalypse and and all of these things that are supposed to be happening. And so we think when we hear apocalypse, we might be thinking about the wrong man being elected president. Uh, We might be thinking about a big world world coming on. We might be thinking about some type of existence that looked like it came straight out of a Mad Max movie where we'll have to be living in bunkers and prepping and some sort of of existence that involves us scavenging for food but apocalypse does not mean that. Apocalypse means an unveiling or a revealing. And so there are things that, because it looks good on a book or a movie, have been associated with apocalypse, but that's not what the apocalypse was talking about within, in the Bible terms. It's an unveiling, it's a revealing, because it says in the text that the Son of Man is going to come down in all his glory. So that's what we ought to be focusing on, and not just the bad parts that sell nice books. Ah, and so he talks about these things, and, and there's an apocalypse that's going on, but he's got these predictions that he lets them know that the coming of the Son of Man is coming, but the sun will be darkened. And he doesn't mention a time. 
He doesn't tell you it's going to happen on Tuesday, November 6th. Or he doesn't tell you it's going to be happening on, at noon today. None of these things are told. And so the disciples get a little worried. The disciples get a little upset because he's talking about all these kind of things that are happening. And, and, and you read, and when you go to read Mark, it's, it's a, you could probably get through Mark in one setting. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge in your own reading time. You know, not just on Sundays. Uh, hour and a half so but you could get through Mark in one reading and he talks about messianic pretenders and wars and earthquakes and, and, and suffering associated with being associated with Jesus yes these days we all can say I go to Faith United Methodist Church or oh I'm a fourth generation member of this church or oh we, you know, I've been in church all my life you couldn't really say you was rolling with Jesus back then they had to hide it. They had to come up with symbols so people knew which houses were full of believers. They had these things that was going on because everybody couldn't do it. And he's letting them know that, yeah, you've been walking with me all this time while I healed the sick and raised the dead and opened up the blinded eyes and set the captives free and declared the acceptable year of the Lord as Isaiah predicted that Jesus was going to do. And everything he did, he, everything was, he was predicted to do, he did. But now it's going to get a little rough. Nah, in those days, he's telling them. And so the disciples start asking, whoa, Jesus, when is this going to start happening? When are these things that are, you, that are supposed to be predicted, that you are predicting, are about to happen? And his response to uh, these questions when they ask, when is where we get to what's in your hearing? He gives them two parables. He gives them one about the fig tree. And, and, and he says that when the figs, trees, leaves become tender, or, or the buds become tender rather, and the leaves begin to sprout, you'll know without being told that summer is near. And just so as the things you see have described to happen in the beginning, you can be sure that his return is very near. You can plant two seeds at the same time and they don't bud into a tree at the same time. I remember... Uh, being in a chemistry class and, and uh, I was working with my partner and uh, we did our little chemistry project and we wrote out the work to the assignment and I got an A plus on the assignment and my partner got an A minus on the assignment and he called the teacher over and said, we both worked together. We did the same thing. We came to the same answer. Why does Johnny have a better grade than I do on this same assignment? And he said, it's like watching two people dance. One sometimes dances a little better than the other. And that was his fancy way of saying that I had put more, I had shown more work in my proof than he did. But I said that to say that you cannot predict the outcome of what is going to happen. And so he tells them to look at these trees because these trees don't, they have some sort of schedule to them, but you can't predict it day by day. You just have to be prepared to watch the signs. Don't count the days. Look for when the buds become tender and the leaves begin to sprout. And watch. 
And when you watch what's going on during these times, you'll understand that the Jesus' return is very near at the door. Why would we listen to something like that? Okay, I'll tell you. And uh, in, in uh, verse 31, he says that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. You have to understand that there will be a bunch of fads going around. There'll be a bunch of catchphrases going around. There'll be a bunch of things that people will say or sell to you that'll be extremely popular, but they won't last. You'll look at these things and they'll pass away. I look at now that everybody wants a fidget spinner. But before that, everybody wanted something else. And before that, everybody wanted something else before that. And I remember when Chia Pets, I might be dating myself, but I remember when everybody wanted a Chia Pet. What good was that for other than watching a bunch of sprouts grow out of a plastic vase? But we wanted that, and before that, people wanted pet rocks. They would name these rocks and put them in boxes with holes so they could breathe. There are fads that go around, but these fads do not last. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never pass away. There is a reason why the word of God is the most best-selling book of all time. There's a reason why that's going on when you can't even remember who was popular last year or what movies were off last year or what popular song was going on last year because all those things will not last. Come on in here, Isaiah, and help me out. In chapter 40, verse 8, it says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. He went on again and said, And so shall my word go, go forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish what it pleases, and it shall prosper in the thing that I said it. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should seek cause to repent. He won't fail you. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word is forever. We don't need a new fad. We need the word. It doesn't matter who the president is, we got the word. It doesn't matter who the governor is, we got the word. It doesn't matter who the the mayor is, we got the word. No matter these things, kings and kingdoms will all fade away. But there is something about that name. These fads, they come and go, and they, they, they got all of these things that happen, but nothing really endures. Jesus said that absolutely everything will pass away, including heaven and earth. But what won't pass away? That word. Everything will come and go. Friends and family will come and go. Jobs will come and go. Titles will come and go. But the word of God is forever. So he tells the people to keep awake. Uh, Jesus urges his servants to be watchful. He urges them to be watchful because of the task and because of the time. Uh, God has assigned each and every one of us a specific task to accomplish. And my task is not your task. And your task is not your task. 
we all have something that God has put us on the earth to do. One of those things being worship. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me prove it. Let me prove it. Let me, let me prove it. So when we look at Isaiah and they talk about what was going on before the creation of man, you have God and you have in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and that word that became flesh was the one that we came to know as Jesus the Christ. Uh, and when, when you research in Isaiah and, and look at it, God had some angels and, and, and there are only two angels that are mentioned by name. You had the archangel Gabriel, which he sent out for war. And then you had the angel Lucifer, which meant light bearer, who was in charge of worship. And, and, and Lucifer said that he was going to set his throne above the stars, above God's throne. And the moment he thought that, down into hell with one third of the angels that thought they was rolling with them. They backed the wrong horse. And, and, and that Lucifer became known as what we would know as Satan. But you had Archangel uh, Michael, right? Or, no, you had Michael and Gabriel and then you had um, Lucifer. And Lucifer's job was worship. And so you had somebody to announce things and be the herald. You had somebody to, to go out to war for, for God. But we lost the one that was supposed to worship. So there's a position open. We were created to worship. Along with those things, the, whatever task it was. That it, but on top of all of that, we were created to worship. And when you worship, it literally means how much something is worth to you. It doesn't mean they sang the song that I wanted to hear. It doesn't mean that I get to sit in my assigned seat. It doesn't mean it's not dependent upon whether or not I get the position that I thought I deserved or I get the right accolades. Or no, you worship God for how much God is worth to you. And so we have tasks to complete along with that. And we are all not only supposed to have these tasks, but we're supposed to do them. And it does not matter when the return comes. Uh, no servant knows when the master will return. And thus constant watchfulness is required. Don't try to clock the hours. Just remain vigilant. You watch for the return, not the clock. Now, nah, you watch for the return. And, and watchers in the Bible, that was a particularly important job. When the master went away from the estate, they had somebody to watch to make sure nobody else came on the property that wasn't allowed to come on the property. Uh, when they had, uh, they had watchers that sat on the wall of a particular city to let you know when the enemies were coming. They had to, be, uh, they had to watch uh, Nehemiah set watchers out 
when he was rebuilding the wall, which, and it meant these were armed citizens and guards. This was a job. Watchers would set up top a tower over farm fields and watch the crops to make sure nobody else came on the farms and the fields to take them or steal them and make sure no animals came to eat up the crops during the harvest. Watchers were important. Uh, they, 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 there's an adage in, uh, that I think about when I hear about the term watchers and, you know, China built this great big wall to prevent people from coming in and taking over the land. But they kept getting, and when you study the history of China, they kept getting defeated. Why did they keep getting defeated if they built this big wall to keep people out? Because all they had to do was bribe the watchman. Mm. When you bribe the watchman, you let some things out. And so we all have our own watchmen that we need to make sure don't get bribed. We all have those temptations that look like how we want them to look. We all have those things that are, that are there, so we have to make sure our watchmen are not bribed. Watching is not a passive action. It is a proactive action in the Bible. When somebody was appointed to be the watcher, that was an important job. The whole operation rested upon whether or not you remained vigilant. Watch. It's a proactive action. Uh, my children have taken the job of ghostwriting my sermons without knowing it. Um, and, and, and it's been uh, an educational, uh, educational endeavor. But uh, my youngest daughter, Layla, we uh, went to the Festival of Lights yesterday so we could see some Christmas lights. And, and uh, we parked at the, where the Palais Royal used to be in the boot barn and all that because the parking there is free. Um, we parked <laughs> there. And you park there, and then you got to ride a bus over to the park so you can see the lights. Well, there are no car seats on the bus. And so, and there's not really enough room for a stroller. And even if you put the, 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 the car seat that you carry in there, there's no seat belt to hook it in. And so everybody did the same thing. You know, they hand the person on the bus the stroller. They go put the stroller in the back of the bus and then they carry their infants on the bus ride with them. And so I was carrying Layla. Well, we started heading towards the park. And we went down and, and went down up 45 and busted a right on Deeds, Ro Deeds Road and came around to go uh, through these neighborhoods. And we all know the condition of the roads in Dickinson, Texas. And we all know the lack of street lights around this area. So what, why are you saying that? I'm saying that because the road got dark and the road got bumpy. And I could feel the kung fu grip going on my hand and on my clothes from my little four-month-old daughter. And, and no matter what happened, it got dark and it got bumpy. But when we looked and when we passed little pieces of light, I could see her face, eyes wide. She wasn't crying. She wasn't screaming or fussing. But she was holding on to my hand as tight as she could, and she, her eyes were fixed on me. 
And so I stopped by to tell you that when times get rough, when times get rough and rugged, when the road gets a little bumpy, when you are surrounded by a bunch of people that you don't know, hold on to your father as tight as you can and keep your eyes stuck on him. No matter what happens, you got to sit on that rock. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. No matter what happens, hold on to God's unchanging hand. We can learn a lot from a five-month-year-old, and I'm still learning. And, and she held on to God's unchanging hand. And so it was rough and rugged. And she hung on to her father and kept her eyes fixated on her father. And then when we rolled back from the Festival of Lights, because she had been through that situation before, she went to sleep on the way back because she knew that her father was not going to let her get hurt. And so when we have these uncertain times in our lives, watch. When friends forsake us, watch. When family frustrates us, watch. Whether we got a pocket full of dough or not a dime in our pocket, watch. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come.